0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we get together and guide us and lead us into what you would want us to learn from this scripture. And we ask you to your spirit to be with us. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter four. We're going to be starting at verse 19. The first part of chapter four has all been about repentance. Getting Israel to repent. And then we get into 19 and we start getting into the judgments that are falling on them. And most of the commentators say that this section of scripture is talking about they're going into captivity. And I believe that we're seeing more of the idea of the tribulation period in there. And we'll see and we'll go in this we'll, and we'll watch as we, as we see this. So starting at verse 19. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, O oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, Desolation upon, destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Sudden, suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are studish children and they have none understanding, they are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light. I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld and lo, there was no man and all and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was as a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. So we're going to, uh, verse 27. For thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. So here we are looking at this. He's been talking about repent, repent, repent. That's always God's call to, to the world. Repent. Says so call to us as Christians also repent, and then he goes here. He says, very interesting. This is, seems to be the prophet talking. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very. I am pained at my very heart. Now this is kind of a very strong. Anytime you see this double speech of something like this, you know my bowels, my bowels. It's an intensity of, of feeling on this. Uh, we see it holy, holy. Uh, and in a couple places, you see things tripled. And that really, really means that God is really <laughs> intensifying the message. So here he goes, my bowels, my, my inner portions, my, my innermost being is pained. It, and literally, this is the idea of writhing. So he says, my bowels are being twisted. And we know what that, we, we even have that. My my gut is twisted. We even say that to the, to this day. When I have great anxiety or I'm really worried about something, you know, it just feels like my stomach gets tied up in knots. This is what he's talking about. Uh, what he's seeing is so bad that his stomach is tying up in knots. And it says, my heart makes a noise in me. And heart is the innermost being where your where your seat of emotions are and usually we would they said heart we would say we have a gut feeling or I feel it in my gut and it says that it's making a noise it's growling it's it is well it's more intense than pounding but I can buy that but literally the heart is a seat of emotions for us we would say I have a gut feeling they would say I have a heart feeling. In, in, in from the Hebrew point of view. So, I'm not sure that I would go with heart pounding. Well, they also put sound of the trumpet, so. Yeah. yeah, and I can understand why they're interpreting that way. Uh, I see a lot of translations of saying my heart is pounding. They refer to instead of bowels, they'll say gut, stomach, soul. Yes. Anguish. You know. Yeah. And this is why heart in, in the Hebrew is literally the word for the seat of your emotion. It's really just one step outside of being your soul. But it's where your emotions are. It's the center of your emotions. So for them, it was our heart. We have the same thing. My heart is breaking because of my emotions. We have the idea of my gut. We, we usually end up with our gut feeling, a gut feeling. I feel this intensity in my gut. And this is really their mind, their mindset. It's right at the center of all my emotions. And he says, they're groaning. They're, they're, they're having a problem with all of this. And he says, uh, I cannot hold my peace because you have, you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. And there could be, this is why pounding could work because of this, this ending of it. Uh, I am in great fear. Or if you happen to be the warrior, I'm in great excitement. Because the war cry has different impacts on different people. Some people get very fearful about it. Some get, okay, excited, I get to, I get to go kill or whatever, you know, uh, cause problems, whatever it might be. And so here it's, it's been moving from this whole idea of repentance to the judgment as we see the judgment starting to fall. And the judgment fell originally on the kingdoms through the attack from, the, from, from Babylon to conquer them. And so there's this fear that's going on. And Jeremiah is preaching to them just before they get go into captivity with Babylon. And he's going to keep telling them, God says, if you just surrender, you won't be taken out of, your, out of the country. You will serve the king of Babylon. But they kept... Deciding they were going to fight and try to get rescued from the Assyrian. So they first try to hire the Assyrians who get beat. They try to hire the Egyptians who get beat. Then they try to go to war on their own and get beat. And God had told them over and over through, through Jeremiah just surrender and be good servants to your new master and you'll be okay. And they never listened. Now, the problem is how many times do we not listen when we don't hear what it is that we want to hear? Yeah, and we, we tend to do the same thing. God tells us to do something that is not quite what we wanted to do. You want me to do that? Yeah, you want me to do what, God? Nuh-uh, no way, no how? Uh, it doesn't sound good like a good idea to me. And just this is what they were saying, you know, be the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, pay him taxes, pay him tribute let him be our master, not going to happen. And that's how they ended up getting into bigger trouble. And then it says, destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly my tents are spoiled and my curtains in a moment. And this does have two points of view involved with it. One is how fast Nebuchadnezzar took took the nation. He swept through the nation and even took Israel, took Jerusalem fairly fast by all, you know, because everybody considered Jerusalem an impenetrable city. Nobody had ever taken it before. Since David had conquered it, nobody had ever conquered Jerusalem until Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered it. In a fairly short time, it only took him about three years. Uh, we kind of go, well, that's an awful long time for war. but. And remember the way they conquered these big cities with big walls is they just circled them up and starved them out. And that's how he just starved them out. He put his army around them and starved them over a three-year period. And, you know, and, you know we've read the other stories, you know, that got so bad that they were paying lots of money for pigeon dung. Uh, lots of money. You know, I can't remember what it was, but it was a... You know day's wage for for a small amount of pigeon dung, and they you know they were that hungry and it was just a really bad situation, and that's what happened and Is that when they were eating their children? uh yeah, they were doing that too, eating children eating their children and all that all that went on, and it was a really sad time for them, but they were under this attack, and it says it happened quickly now this will also be the case at the halfway point in the millennial kingdom when the Antichrist stands up and says I am God and the Jews reject him Jesus even said when that happens flee don't even take a moment to get your coat don't gather gather your stuff get out of Jerusalem and get protected and that's how fast it will happen in that time so I believe we have a transition he starts out kind of talking a little bit about Babylon but when we see the description of what he's talking about, I think we're seeing a description of the tribulation period as we come into here. So he say it happens really fast. Uh, how long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? This is the idea that he's regarding, he's gazing at a standard. Now, if you're not familiar with war, we've talked about this in several times. In their day, and even in our day, we don't have standards as much in today's world because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves because we get machine gunned down or or shot down with artillery but in the old days you had the standards each division had a standard the king had a standard and as long as you saw that big banner in the in the sky you knew that your commander was okay your king was okay and you knew where to run if things went bad so you would huh it's a flag it's well it's not Oh, what would we call it? Um, it's kind of a flag. It would usually be on more of a kind of a cross type theme and it would hang down it'd be, it'd be a banner it'd be a banner it'd be a banner on a pole called a standard or a flag It's much bigger than the banner, but it was a it was something that told you who was whose army was out there and so you would look for this you would watch for it and if you if you started getting Losing at the wherever you were at and you needed to retreat you would look for the standard of these generals of the king and you would go To where the standard was and it was very important in the many times there They there would be one person who carried the standard into battle But there would be like five or six other people and they were to always watch that standard if the standard Bearer got hurt or injured They would come and immediately pick up the standard because they wanted to be seen. Yeah. And it was a great honor to be the standard bearer. It was also a dangerous position in war because the archers would shoot at you, the uh, the slingers because they wanted to knock down they wanted to knock out the standard bearer. But it was a great honor to do this because everybody was looking for that standard. If the standard fell, it meant that the everything was going bad for the for the battle. Now, it didn't always mean that it was, but that's how it was interpreted. The standard fell. If it didn't get right back up, everybody would look at it and say, this is a problem. Uh, in in Solomon, it says that Jesus, or that Jesus, who's being descripti- descri- described in there, is the banner of love. His banner over me is love. His standard is what it's literally referring to. His standard up there to sin. I am love. And here it says, I, how long shall I see this? How long will I hear the trumpets. And again, trumpets were the way that they gave their commands during that period of time. Uh, you had a trumpet sound for retreat, trumpet sound for advance, some trumpet sound for assembly. To a degree, we still have some trumpets in our military. Uh, for a long time, we, you know, for America especially and most of Europe, they went to drums. And there was drum rolls that would be for, for advancing, retreating, for loading your guns for shooting you know all these things were because there was so much noise the drum would go over it and if you've ever watched a western and you see the the bugle with the cavalry charging across yeah. the field you know uh, and they would play that charge sound and that literally was the sound of the charge for the for the uh calvary. and when it was time to retreat or regather they had another another tune on the on the trumpet uh on the bugle to retreat. And this is what he's talking about. How long will I see that standard and know that the battle is going on? How long will I hear the trumpets giving instruction? So this is actually a very despairing statement. He is expecting defeat. How long am I going to see these things? How long will I hear them? And this is a sad place when we get to this place where we're expecting defeat and usually, if you expect defeat, you're going to do things to make sure that it happens. You know, subconsciously, in, you know, not even, you know, not even planning on it, but you just, it happens. And here he is saying, "I'm going." You know, how long? How long are we going to see this? How long until we totally fall apart and no longer have a standard out there? No longer have the trumpet. And then, for my people, for my people is foolish. They have not known me. And I think this is very interesting. They are foolish. This is God talking about his people. The prophet talking about his people. They are foolish. They despise wisdom. And I think this is so sad. Like in our country right now, we have more people that are foolish. They're despising God's wisdom. And latching on to lies and deceit and falsehood and we're seeing the result of all of this being a nation that is falling apart. A nation that has got more evil running around. A nation that is not safe to walk the streets, a nation that is not safe to to go out and do anything with. We saw it, you know, two years ago with all the riots in all the downtown areas and tearing apart the cities and and everything and little to nothing happening to the rioters and just showing how violent everything is because nobody is walking in truth and righteousness or few people are walking in truth and righteousness but here we have them saying my people are foolish what a statement and we don't want to be foolish and they have not known me this is God's statement they have not known me and that makes them foolish and the more we walk away from God, the more foolishness we will do. The more we will walk in the ways of the world and remember that Satan is a liar. Everything he says is a lie. And so he takes God's truths and makes lies for all of it. He counterfeits everything. So, and he doesn't just make one lie and one counterfeit. For each one of God's truth, Satan will make lots of lies, lots of counterfeits, so that people will be sucked into one of the lies. He goes, you don't like this lie? Let me tell you this lie. And he's not telling you they're lies, but, oh, you don't like that lie? Let me give you this one. And he calls them truths. And we live in a day and age that says, it doesn't matter what what is true or not true, it's whatever you believe. And that is such an illogical statement. Truth is not truth, it's whatever you believe. You know, that is dumb. If I, touch, if I go out and touch a hot stove thinking that I truly believe that I can touch that hot burner and not get burnt, doesn't matter what I believe. I am still going to get burnt. If I go up to the Grand Canyon and walk off the cliff and say, I don't believe in gravity, they'll find my body at the bottom of the, of the canyon and I'll be dead, most likely. That's a long fall. Probably dead. <laughs> Doesn't matter what I believe or don't believe. You know, and God is not up there saying, "I'm really worried that they don't believe in me, that they don't believe in truth." He's just going to say, "Here I am now. Now you're standing in front of me, and you don't believe in me. You're guilty." Truth is never afraid of lies. And this is something we have to understand. When we sit there and try to defend truth and argue truth and everything. We need to be careful about that. Don't get emotionally wrapped up in trying to defend truth. Speak truth and let it go. You don't have to sit there and argue with somebody about what the truth is. Just speak it. Truth wins out in the long run. And it's very funny when you talk to these people who believe that there is no absolute truth, that the truth is whatever, uh, but they they have all kinds of absolute truth. If you don't agree with them, then you're wrong but anybody's truth is okay unless you disagree with them. So it's very interesting. And I used to love people that would say there is no absolute truth, and I would ask them, are you absolutely sure? Are you absolutely sure that there is no absolute truth because that is an absolute truth that you just said? So the very logical statement says that you can't have no no absolute truth because that's an absolute statement. And yet they believe this with their whole heart, at least they pretend to. They know that there's truth, they know that there's absolute truth. They just want to try to pretend that they don't. Which means that they're being very foolish. And it's very interesting to talk to all these people who think they're wise in in the world's ways and to see how foolish they actually are. When you really get down and talk to them and try to get them to understand. And even when you say that, they don't understand how foolish their, their belief system is. And how foolish they sound. Because they've abandoned truth. And Satan is out there trying to help them. And then it says, they are sootish. Stud- and this is kind of a very interesting word. It is foolish and stupid. <laughs> it, you know, stupidly foolish, yes. It's kind of a very interesting, it's a very hard word. Very hard statement. That's basically what it is. You can't get any stupider than, you are, than you're acting. And it has this whole idea of not having any understanding at all. And it's kind of interesting in this today's world. When you start witnessing to people, you start talking to people, and they just show how foolish their belief systems are. And they will say things you know, that don't make any sense. They will say... You know, uh, everybody's, trying to find, everybody's trying to find God. I love that question. And then I'll turn around. Are you? Well, I not know. Aren't you part of everyone? Yeah. Yeah, um, so that can't be everyone. Uh, you, know, or they're, you know, and all these different things that go out there because they're trying to find a way. Some people are trying to find a way to God. But the point is, the only way that it's going to be good is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You have to go through Jesus. And if they won't go through Jesus, they won't find a way to God. Because what will they come up with? i got to do enough good things. This is the bottom line of all religion is, I've got to do more good than bad to please the deity. Now, I'm not saying they're all the same, but the bottom line on them does come down to do more good than bad because that's how you get to heaven. Now, whether you do it through the, the uh, way of most of the Eastern religions where you just keep living life over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until you finally get it right, or many of the other ones that say do more good than bad and they talk about a scale, or they, some people that just say there is no God, it doesn't matter, just go out and do what you want because they're totally denying God. It is only Christianity that says you cannot earn your way to heaven, you cannot do enough good to get to heaven, only by Jesus. And the sad thing is, how many times do we even forget that sometimes as Christians? We get saved by grace, not of works, and then we try to do works to please God. And I know it makes sense to us as a, as a, as a human way of doing things, But God says, it's just by grace. It's my grace that gets you to heaven. My grace, God says. Nothing you can do is going to make him any happier with you. Now, there will be consequences, good consequences for doing good. There may be even some rewards in heaven for it, but getting into heaven is only by Jesus. And so he has these people that are being foolish, and then it says they have no understanding Which is another very strong word. They have no discernment. How many people have you met that have no discernment? Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes Christians don't have discernment because they're not following God. And they don't understand that there's consequences for their actions, good and bad. They don't understand that they need to be submitted to God. They don't understand that they need to repent. They don't understand that they need to seek God. No understanding. And then they'll come up with really crazy things like evolution and all these other things that they do. There is no right or wrong. There is no absolute truth. And you're going, none of that stuff makes sense. None of it makes any sense. And you're going, and then when you point it out, they still don't understand what you're saying. Because they're so committed to their lack of understanding and their way of thinking and it's very sad when you look at that and then it says very harshly they are wise to do evil how many people are wise to do evil we come across them all, all right. over the place in chloride huh? Is it in chloride <laughs> not just cool everywhere but yes there are a lot of people there they know how to do evil and there are people in our day and age that are proud of the evil they do. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting you know, that people will do something stupid that's against the law and post it on Facebook. Goodbye. And then wonder how the police find them. You know, and it's like, okay, you are no understanding, you're wise to do evil, and you do not know good. <laughs> Because they are so proud of what they have done and they boast about their evil. It used to be that people would not, would try very hard not to do evil in America. Because even if they weren't Christians, we had a Christian nation with Christian morality that unfortunately made people think they were a Christian because of their good works. So it may or may not have been a good thing to have all that morality, but people did good things more than bad things and then they hid the bad things that they did because they didn't want anybody knowing that that's what they were doing and now people brazenly celebrate their sin and their evil and this is what he's saying these are the this is the people during this and it will only intensify as we get closer to to the rapture and the tribulation because it's described in those days that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As in the days of Noah, evil reigned. Now, I don't know how close we are to that. It seems like it's very close to me. How much worse can it get? I don't know. But even beyond that, after the rapture and the church is taken and the Antichrist starts reigning... There will be no restraining force on sin. We think it's bad now. The church and righteousness has some restraining influence. Not much. We're losing the battles. But just think how bad things would be if the church wasn't saying adultery's wrong, fornication's wrong, uh, abortion's wrong, you know, uh, homosexuality's wrong. Yeah, we're losing our battle, we're losing the battles and it's getting worse and worse. But how bad would it be if the church wasn't here saying these are wrong and holding back the tide? When the church is gone, it will roll into full-fledged debauchery in every aspect. We can't even hardly imagine what it will be like during that period of time. And because everything will be doing what they want and without the restraining influence of the church. It's going to be a horrible time and I don't, I'm don't. i glad we won't be here. I'm glad that we won't see all of that process going on. Verse 23 says, I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light. Now I find this very interesting talking about the judgment I have a feeling that he's kind of flipping back to the creation because this is a description of creation. Earth without form and void and no light. And I don't understand how it's thrown in there. Some people want to believe that it's just about this ignorance of the ignorance of the people toward the light of God. Could be. But I still don't understand where the no, uh, void and without form comes into in, in that statement. But it's definitely picturing something that is a mess. Whether it's before creation, and if it gets that bad during the tribulation, I think it could. No light, no understanding of God. And literally, when you think about the tribulation and what's going to happen, you can almost picture this no form and, and void when no rain... has replaced creation. Huh? Uncreation has replaced creation. Yeah? And we, when we look at the tribulation period, the angels are going to hold back the wind. It says though in Revelation. How awful would this world be with no wind? Oh. Anywhere. Now, we in, we in Mojave County go, I'd love to have a couple days with no wind. Yeah, We're not talking about days with no wind. We're talking about the whole world with no wind. And now there are scientists that read that and say, there is no way that that can happen. Well, God says it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. The angels will be strong enough to hold back the winds. That will mean no breezes off the oceans, cooling the oceans, which means the oceans will get hot, which means that they will cause evaporation and cause more water into into the air. No cooling of the earth, which means it gets hotter. No breeze whatsoever, no winds. Now, scientifically, we can't understand how that happens. All without form and void, everything that we know about things will change during the tribulation period and cause problems. And I've had meteorologists tell me there is no possible way that this can happen. I'm going, well, you know what? God said it would. How he's going to do it, I don't know. And you know what? I don't care how he does it. One thing I know about God—he says it, he does it. Well, he said it is going to happen. Beyond that, he knows exactly how everything works. Uh, He knows exactly how everything works, so he can just say, "Well, if I do this, there will be no wind, and there will be no wind on that earth." And he knows exactly how to turn off the winds. And for him, it's child play. All he does is touch it in one spot. And, it, you know, and what we consider miracles and uh, you know, beyond imagination, God says, well, all he had to do was this and it was done. He knows exactly how to touch things to make it happen. And if he says there's no light, we're going to take this as no light. And remember I've said before, light does refer to doctrine and truth of God. So I can understand why people look at that part and say, no understanding of God. And during the tribulation period of time, most of the people are going to have no understanding of God. There'll be the 144 Jewish, uh, 144,000 Jewish witnesses. They're going to be converts, and most of them will die very quickly during that period of time. You'll have the two prophets uh, at the temple preaching. They're going to die at the three and a half year mark. Yes, after our rapture. After we're gone. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the rapture first, then the tribulation. Then the tribulation. So we'll be gone. Then they'll have tribulation. Does not mean things aren't going to get really bad for us before that happens. I think we're going to see really hard times in the world. But you know, even as I say that, outside of America, being a Christian is a very dangerous thing in most of the world. In most of any place that's Muslim, you're you're looking at your death death sentences. The Hindus, most of. Most of the uh, world, it's a death sentence to be a Christian. And we are spoiled in America. We have no idea what it means to face tribulation. I think we will start to see tribulation before, before the rapture. But right now, millions of Christians die every year as martyrs. Not just dying in the course of life, but die as martyrs and you read about it. if you if you ever want to read it, look at the the voice of the martyrs uh, and those different groups and they'll talk start they'll they'll inform you of all the people that are dying and all the people that face death just because they choose Christ now, and we're kind of spoiled our news never reports it or it's never it never gets in there for most people to hear about but it's happening everywhere it's 7 years 7 years And then the great tribulation will be the last three and a half of it when things really get bad. So here we have this going on. He says, I beheld all this. And he says, 24, behold, I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled and all the hills moved lightly. This is where we're getting into where I believe we're talking about the tribulation period. Because the tribulation talks about a great earthquake in the world that flattens all the mountains. Now, that's a pretty big earthquake to flatten mountains, which would also mean somewhere that the seas are raised up because the islands of the seas are mountains where they would have to fall flat too, which would still raise the water level. There's going to be a great tumultuous time on this world. It might be as simple as the axis rotating more than it does I mean, when we've had the axis tilt and, and shift by only three or four degrees, we've had major earthquakes in this world. If it was to shift five to 10 degrees, you'd have an earthquake that would shake the entire world and make things very hard. And this road, our axis is changing now. It used to change by one or two degrees every 100 years. It's now coming down to about every 10 years that we're having an axis Shifting by just a few degrees. Why? Well, I would say, like many people have said, God put the earth and spun it into motion, and like any spinning top, it starts to wobble real bad before it falls. And the earth is reaching the end of its climax, and we're watching the, watching the wobble increase. And I think during the tribulation period, we're going to see it wobble a lot. And then during the millennial kingdom, he gets to spin it back up or whatever he needs to do to make it work. May not even need it because he's running it. He could do it without it spinning because he'll be the light. So we have this whole thing that we see the mountains trembling or shaking and the hills moving. Now I can't even imagine what this would be when he's looking at it. You, know, you look at the mountain and it's shaking. You know, and, and it's moving just a little bit constantly by the sound of it. That would be a scary thought to see. And if the mountains are moving that bad, what is happening in the plains? Uh, We're talking about a violent world at that point in time. And I'm, you know, and you hear it, you've got to understand, God says it. It's hard for us to picture how it can happen, but God says it's going to happen. And it's not just here, it's several places that he talks about these kind of earthquakes that are going to cause panic and desires the people to say, hide. And then 25, Behold, I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of heaven were fled. And I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down in the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. And again, Are we talking about the tribulation here? We might even be talking about the end of the millennial kingdom at this point. When he puts his final judgment upon the world and takes out the entire world and makes it gone. As Peter says, it will burn the entire planet and universe will burn with fire. I think it's going to be a real simple thing. God just lets go of the atoms. And we will have a the the biggest nuclear explosion that will ever have happened when God lets go of the atoms because he is the reason they are held together. I've had very interesting discussions with people. on going, well, how does an atom hold together? And I love their answer, nuclear force. Well, what's nuclear force? We don't know. And the Bible tells us that the very world is held together by God's hand, by his will. Because we know an atom cannot exist in, by nature's rules. The protons should blow apart, the electrons should collapse. But a force that they don't understand keeps it from falling apart and breaking up. And we know it to be God from the Word. So, to change the subject, so the rapture can happen anytime without all of the prophets and, and the things that are talking about in the Bible. Anytime the rapture can happen. Yeah. We'll, we'll go into some eschatology oh. here. The imminent return of Jesus demands that there is nothing that has to be fulfilled. Because if it isn't an imminent return, then we'll know the time that Jesus comes. All I have to do is wait. All I have to do is wait for this, this, and this to happen. And okay, Jesus, I'm looking for you. Because Jesus said, I will return quickly like a thief in the night. Be prepared, which is what we're going to be talking about Sunday morning. That tells us that nothing has to happen before he returns. Well, because if it wasn't for an imminent return of Christ, then we would know. This is the big, one of the big reasons I'm a pre, pre, rap, uh, pre-tribulation rapture person is because the eminence of Christ, the, the seven-day marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, so there's a lot of, lot of things that all fall into being pre-tribulation. Uh, there are some that say that they're mid-tribulation, and, they're, and they have no imminent return of Christ because they're just waiting for the tribulation to start. Three and a half years later, you go home plain and simple uh and now you can mark it it starts here you're at the mid, mid mid point of the rapture and that's what it says it's given an exact day for that to happen which means you don't have an imminent return of christ and then there's the people who believe in a post rapture we go through all the whole thing and then we go up to jesus and come right back down i've never seen any any purpose in that one the mid i can defend i can defend the mid mid rapture a little bit And we are accused, and when we're pre-tribulation people, they accuse us that we're being escapists. Well, you know what? That's fine. If God wants to take me home before any troubles, I'm going to be very happy. If he wants me to go through troubles, I'll be happy. You know, he's still in charge. I still believe that things are going to get very hard for American Christians before the rapture. Yes, I know. It could happen tonight. It could happen before we leave this door. I think things are going to get worse for us in America before, before, but... It can still happen today. But most of this stuff happens during the tribulation on it. All right. Little little side note there. (laughs) Um, So here we go with this. He says everything's going to become, uh, the fruitful places will become wilderness. The cities will be broken down at the presence of the Lord. And if you read through the book of Revelation, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, this world is going to be wasted. I've calculated out, I went through, and 66 percent of the population, just from what's listed dying in, in Revelation, will die. 66 percent of the population, two out of every three people, will die during the, during the tribulation period. And that's just the, the bowls and everything, that's not even happening, murders or wars that might happen as well Besides those things. Just what he says. Large. The quarter of all the drinking water will be polluted and wasted. You know, lands will be wasted. All these things will happen. The statement that you just made about the two-thirds. Oh, this is just a computation. I've taken Revelation. And where it says a quarter will die here, and a third will die here, and a quarter will die here. Uh, the The whole of Revelation, it's... You, you, read, you, read, you read the bowls, you read the, the, the seals, the bowls, and the trumpets, and it'll, it'll be a place where it says a quarter die here, or a third die here, and a quarter die here, and then you do the mathematics on it, and it comes out to be roughly 66 percent of the population of the world dies. So there's lots of things that happen during that period of time, very much like uh, the ten plagues of Egypt that really wiped out Egypt, except this will be on a global scale rather than a local scale. Uh, So, uh, so everything is going to be turned into a wilderness. And then it says, and thus saith the Lord, uh, thus hath the Lord said, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end to it. This is why I think we're talking about the tribulation where 66% of the population die. Most of the land becomes uninhabitable uh, for whatever reason. And, but God will not let it come to a full end during that period of time. Now, this is the hope for them, too, as the Jews, as they're being carried away to Babylon. You know, God says, I'm taking you out. Your land is going to be, go to waste, and it did. But you are going to return. And they're told, you know, that you will return in 70, after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, you will return. So that's their hope. And this is what I said. When you read prophecy in the Bible, there's always an immediate prophecy fulfillment, because if there wasn't, what happened to the prophet? If a prophet made a false prophecy, they were executed. So they had to have an immediate fulfillment that could be read into it, even if it is a long term prophecy. So there's always a short term fulfillment to these and then a long term complete fulfillment. So this is why he is referring, as you, when you asked, was he referring to Israel or was he referring to the end days? And the answer is yes. You, you see elements of how it's not quite fully fulfilled when they go into captivity, but their land did become desolate. They're not living in it. They, the, the gardens and the farms went wild. The cities were, were laid laid bare. Uh, so they did become a desolate place, but not a complete desolate place. Verse 20, "For this shall the whole, uh, for this, this shall the earth mourn, the heavens above be black." Because I have spoken and purposed it and will not repent, neither will I back from from it. So God says this will occur. There comes a time when even when people repent, God still brings his judgment. Because he's just come to the end and it will happen. It happened to them in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar came in, even though they were ready to repent, he goes, It's too little, too late. <laughs> and committed it. They will come into the tribulation period and people will be crying out to God and, and says, you're going to go through this. I'm not rescuing you from it. Uh, at the end of the millennial kingdom, and this is the hardest thing to do. Jesus has been ruling in almost perfect peace for a thousand years. Satan is released and he gets an army to go against God from the people that are living in the world at the end of that thousand years to turn and fight against God because he is making them be good. And they will turn and rebel and say, we like this guy. He's given us an opportunity to do what we want to do and we're going to fight against God. And that's hard to even think of why anybody would think they could fight against God. Most of them have forgotten the last war the 1,000 years earlier where, where Jesus comes down from heaven, speaks a word, and the battle's over. And they're going to come join Satan again to try to fight. Short-term memory of people is terrible, to forget history. Over and over again we forget history and repeat the same event. Do you suppose it's 1,000 years to a like generation? Yeah, there'll be lots of generations during that time. Most of the generations will not remember the, that. Even when Nimrod ruled, he, Noah and all of those had just passed away. I mean, there were people who knew Noah when he was ruling and leading everybody into evil and all the worship of false gods and everything. And you had Eber trying to remind everybody about Noah and the flood and, and God. So you had all of that and it was just long enough back that they didn't remember and how easy is it for people to forget you know we in america don't even remember our history of america 300 years ago we have totally forgotten our history and it's being rewritten right under our right under our noses and totally changed and people don't know we're watching a repeat of World War I and World War II starting with what's going on right now in, in uh, the Ukraine. You know, am I saying we're going to third, third, the World War Three? I don't know, but we're watching exactly what happened in both of those wars of appeasing an enemy that just keeps wanting to go forward and forward, and World War started out on both those occasions. I'm hoping we don't go to World War III, because it would mean some nuclear weapons, at least tactical nuclear weapons being used. It could be a pretty big disaster. And I hope it doesn't go there. But I know history, and I know what I'm watching is history being repeated. And there's a lot of people that get mad at you when you say that. But you look exactly what Hitler did when he wanted to take back the nations that belonged to Germany before World War I, at the end of World War I, and he says, you took all my all these away and they took it back. And people let him. And he kept on going. And we're watching the same things starting all over again. And I hope it doesn't go that far. But at the same time, I'm looking and saying, we're making the same mistakes. Over and over again. We see it in the Bible. Over and over again, the same exact mistakes have been made. Every time we turn around, the same mistakes. Why? because people are so foolish they never remember they never remember and it doesn't take them long to forget even in our own lifetime how many times do we keep making the same mistakes because we forget what happened the last time we made the mistake or somebody else made a mistake like the one we're getting ready to make yeah. most of them weren't alive and they're not and they're not listening they don't know history We don't teach history anymore. We don't teach history anymore. We teach social studies, which is how to interpret what we want to teach them. Let's finish the last two verses here. Last three, three verses. And the whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. They shall go to the thickets and climb upon the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken, and not a man dwell therein. And when you are spoiled, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you deck yourself with ornaments of gold, though you rent your face with painting, in vain shall you make yourself fair, your lovers will despise you, they will seek your life. And for I have heard the voice of a woman in travail, and the anguish of her as she of her that brings forth her first child, and the voice of the daughter of Zion that bewails herself, that spreads her hand saying, woe is... Woe is me now, for my soul is wearied because of murderers. He's describing absolute despair. He's saying, the attack is so fierce that everybody's leaving the the towns, the cities, and running for the hills, trying to find any place where they can be. Then, and the towns are forsaken, and nobody is there. People are getting out of the towns. And then he goes, and you, when you are spoiled, what will you do? And I like this. Though you, do, though you clothe yourselves in crimson, red-dyed, you know, uh, clothing, you know, bright red, the attractive color, supposedly. All right? Uh, and, you put, and you put on all your jewelry, your ornaments of gold. And I, very interesting, you rent your face, you paint your face <laughs> with, and deck it out and it says, even when you do all of this and you're supposed to be attractive to your lovers, he says, they will reject you. Who are the lovers up to this point? The idols that they're following. It says, you're trying to make yourself attractive to the idols and you will still be rejected because they're not turning to God. They're doing everything they can to look good. They might even be trying to turn to God by traditions, and actions but not coming back in true repentance. And it says, I have heard the voice of a woman in true the anguish of her that brings forth her firstborn, the voice of the daughter of Zion that wails for herself. She spreads her hand saying, woe is me, my soul is wearied because of murderers. This is the picture of total despair. When you're not facing God, You're not seeking God. How easy is it to fall into just this kind of thing? And we hear it from people. They may not even believe in God. And then they'll tell you, why would God allow such things to happen? You know, what kind of God allows this to happen? And I find it very interesting when I'm talking to people that don't seem, you know, they'll tell me they don't believe in God. They don't believe that God cares. And then they'll blame God for everything bad that happens. You know, and I almost want to say, make up your mind. Is there a God or not? You know, if there's no God, quit blaming him for yeah. what's going on. You know, if there is a God, then trust him even in the good times and seek him even in the good times. Don't just blame him for everything that goes on. You know, And this for us as Christians is the good news. We seek him, we follow him in the good times, And when things seem to be going bad, we seek Him and follow Him, even in those times, saying, "God, I trust You. You have a good plan." This is why I do like the statement, "God is, God is good all the time." And all the time, God is good. And the question is, do we really believe that? When it seems that everything's going bad, do I still believe that God is good? Yeah, because I always say there's a reason for it. And that's really what it comes down to. We really should. And our whole peace comes from the fact that God is good and he has a plan. And I just, if I fully trust in that, life is a lot easier. Because even when things seem to be going bad, I go, God, you've got a good plan. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And when I just say, God, I don't understand why all this stuff seems to be going on, but you have a good plan... I'm going to trust in that plan, and that's not easy. And as I said, to me, it's a great comfort. Those verses to me are a great comfort. When I was young, I learned the hard way not to tell somebody that if they didn't believe it in the first place, because they almost took my head off quoting that verse to them. And I'm going. I'm sorry, but this is the truth. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, it's true. And I've learned to be more careful. Make sure that somebody likes believes that verse before before that. But isn't it hard when everything seems to be falling apart to truly believe that verse sometimes which is why sometimes I tell God I go God I don't understand I don't understand how you can make anything good out of this but you've promised and that's all I've got to hold on to and I'm going to hold on to that and that gives you a very great peace in the long run there's a reason for it. To get tougher so I'm ready for that so All right, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, guide us and lead us. Help us to fully understand what you are. And Lord, help us to be prepared for your coming. Help us to be prepared for the trials that will come soon upon all Christians, even in America. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me, and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloride Baptist Church, PO Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.